Good morning. Uh, I'd like to, whoops, I don't think we're on. Yeah, there we are. Uh, I'd like to add my welcome to uh, all of our guests who are here with us. Uh, so grateful that you're here. It might be a tiny bit awkward, but we're going to ask, will you please stand so we can welcome you? Come on, stand up if you're visiting. Welcome. Good to you. you guys are here. Good, good. Welcome. We are glad that you have braved the cold. Uh, just you know, they, it's usually a little colder than this most of the year. So, um, that's not true. Uh, we'd also like to say a huge thank you. Um, there are a lot of students and staff that work on grounds that have made our campus walkable and accessible. Can we just give them a big thank you? Thank you guys so much. Uh, beginning of the semester, uh, last week I know was, was a bit crazy. I got videos of tiles flying off of Carter Hall, lamp, lamp posts being blown over. Uh, I was in St. Louis, so I didn't get to experience the fun. Um, but I am actually really very, very joyful to be back with you. Um, for those of you who are here for Scholarship Weekend, um, we understand uh, that there may be a small bit of stress involved. Um, but our hope is that in this time, you will make friends that you never knew you would make, um, that you will be able to be present and be able to have the honest peace of God sit with you uh, in this time. And now, during chapel for 30 minutes or so, we have an opportunity to, together, as a community, um, encounter Jesus. Uh, and that is what we do in chapel. Uh, this morning, I give that to somebody. This morning, uh, we're going to look at a, a passage that is perhaps too familiar. Um, and the way that I'd like to start is, I'd like to ask you to simply think about how this next verse makes you feel. That's not usually a good barometer for Scripture, um, but what I, that's what I want you to do. I would like to ask you to think about this next verse and say, how does it make me feel? Um, but first, before we do that, we know that we have a loving God who cares for us and speaks to us, that he has things for us where we are right now in life. Since we believe that he wants to speak to us, Will you just take a moment and ask him to speak the things that you need to hear right now? That in his kindness and his mercy to you, that he will speak transforming words to your heart. Will you just take a moment and do that, please? Father, we know that you love us, that you like us, that you adore us and you choose and desire to speak to us that we might be transformed and become like your son. Will you please do that now, we ask in his name. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And an honest question there is, how does it make you feel? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be blessed? Who are the poor in spirit? 
kingdom of heaven? Do you feel like this is something that you are supposed to be, but may not be? When you read the Beatitudes, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, and you hear those things, you know and you, you hear them, they're familiar, but do they make you kind of go, that's not me. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you maybe think, um, these are the things that I am supposed to be so that I will be blessed? One of the, the great questions um, at hand in the first century in Israel was who are the blessed? Who are the people who actually know God's favor? Who are the people who stand under the blessing and favor of God? And into the world comes Jesus Christ, God, man, 100% both, bringing news of the kingdom of heaven that is coming. And here, when he comes, he comes to perhaps the unexpected. And what I'd like to do today is look at the Beatitudes, but I want to set them up in a way that, that makes sense for us. Um, the people laboring in the first century, those who were not the religious elite, those who were not the teachers of the law, those who were not the Pharisees, those who were the sick, the oppressed, the poor, the normal people, what access did they have to God's favor and love? And really, there's no better picture that I can think of than a, a small section out of the book Nathan Coulter, written by Wendell Berry. Um, it's written about America uh, in perhaps 1950s or so. Um, but this is a beautiful picture, I think, of how normal people would have felt in the first century. It goes a little bit like this. Uh, Uncle Burley and, and Nathan and his brother Tom are, are in a wagon, and Uncle Burley is an older man. Tom and Nathan are both young boys. Tom is, Nathan's about 10 years old or so. And they get in this wagon um, being pulled by, by the mules, and they're headed to a carnival. And they see a guy sitting up along the road, and this is what happens. They stop to pick him up, and the man says, God bless you, brother, and climbs up into the wagon. Burley asks him, where are you going? He says, wherever the Lord's fixing to send me. And Burley asks him, you a preacher? He says, I am, brother. I am one of them. It has pleased the Lord to send to the four corners of the world to preach the gospel. He began to talk about unbelievers and sin, who was going to hell and who wasn't. And he said that the Lord had appointed him as a witness to preach to every person he met. And Uncle Burley, driving the mules, he whistles, turns, tries not to pay any attention to him. But Nathan can see that Uncle Burley's getting aggravated. After a while, Uncle Burley hands the reins to brother, and he starts to roll a cigarette. Preacher says, cigarettes are as much of an abomination in the sight of the Lord as a bottle of whiskey. And Uncle Burley lit that cigarette and smoked it, looking straight down the road. Preacher said, if the Lord had wanted you to smoke, he would have given you a smokestack. Burley sits there for a moment, takes the reins and stops the team. He looks at the preacher and he says, if he'd wanted you to ride, he would have given you wheels. <laughs> now you get off. 
Preacher got off and stood in the ditch looking up at us. He raised his hand and he said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, Matthew 5.11. We drove off and left him standing, preaching in the ditch. If he's going to heaven, said Uncle Burley, I want him to have to walk every foot of the way. <laughs> Uncle Burley was a normal guy. Tom and Nathan are just boys. But the preacher, the preacher stands up and makes clear that Uncle Burley is clearly not fit for the kingdom of heaven. And I think, honestly, that's how a lot of people felt in the first century. It's a lot of, lot of how the Jews felt when they were sitting under a law that was meant to be beautiful and point to God and reflect his character and nature, but it had been twisted and become a rule and a tool of oppression to hold people down, to make them feel like they weren't good enough. Well, when Jesus comes, Jesus comes preaching repentance, repent, repentance and news about the kingdom of heaven that has come to men. And he comes in his Beatitudes, beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And what I'd like to do is ask you to hear it in perhaps a new way. It's hard to hear words that you've heard so many times in a new way, but let me paint a new context for you. The Beatitudes are not something that you are supposed to be. They are not something that you are supposed to become. They are not a how to blessing. Instead, the Beatitudes are perhaps the greatest show and tell in the history of the world. Because Jesus has come in the flesh and he is bringing with him the kingdom of heaven. And he is bringing invitation into the kingdom of heaven. And right before he begins to teach in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 4, Scripture says that Jesus was going about in all of Galilee. He's teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. And he's healing every disease and every sickness among the people. And the news was spreading about him throughout Syria. And hear this, they brought to him all that were ill, those suffering with various diseases and severe pain, the demon-possessed, people with epilepsy and people who were paralyzed. And he healed them. And large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And now when Jesus saw all of these people, as they were coming, these people that he had healed, Scripture says he goes up on top of a mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came up to him, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them. He is not about to pull out and come give some, like, crazy soliloquy that's totally irrelevant to the normal person. No, what Jesus is going to do now is he's going to say, here's what I've been doing. I've been ushering in the kingdom of heaven, and now I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is not blessed are the humble-minded. This is not blessed are those who recognize their deep need for God. No, Jesus is saying, blessed are you, because I know that you are the ones who are poor in spirit. You are the ones who are not sure how to have a good quiet time. You are the ones who can't figure out how to keep your mind from wandering when you pray. They are the ones who wondered, I'm sick, I'm diseased, I'm an outcast, and people are telling me that that's because of something that I've done and that God is cursing me. 
But Jesus says, poor are you who, or blessed are you who are poor in spirit, who have no spiritual qualifications, who have none of the right stuff. Blessed are you. And when Jesus says blessed, here's what he's talking about. He doesn't just mean happy. Blessed is the highest state of the human heart. It's a security, a peace, and a joy that comes from God. Security, peace, and joy are you, the poor in spirit, the ones who have none of the right qualifications. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Who is the kingdom available to? It's available to you. And you can almost hear them saying, wait a sec, did he really just say that? Like, is he saying the kingdom of heaven is actually for us? Because the poor in spirit, that's actually me. That's us. And scripture doesn't say what happens next, right? Like, we don't know what Jesus is doing. We know he's up on the mountaintop. The people are around. The disciples are there. So here's what I picture. I picture Jesus drops this bomb. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And then I imagine him kind of like nodding to Peter. Peter hands him a piece of bread. And Jesus gets out like a piece of fish. And he takes a bite of like a little homemade fish sandwich and sits there for a moment while it sits down because he's about to drop another blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Wait, those who mourn? That is definitely us. In the mass of the people surrounding Jesus were eyes that had cried more than they had not. They were the people of disease and pain, demon possession, epilepsy, paralysis, family, friends who mourned their suffering. And then there were others who mourned the daily reality of the hardship of life, who mourned loss, who mourned broken relationship. Mourning was that which characterized the normal person. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, those whose pain is personal and those whose pain is what they witness. These can't be those who are God-favored, right? But Jesus says they are the ones who are blessed, for they will be comforted. He says those who mourn in the kingdom of the heavens, they will be comforted. They will know comfort in sorrow because they will know God's comfort in pain. They will understand God's care for the world, and they will be blessed. And they have never heard this before. It's not what they've been shown Yet this man, he's sitting up here and he's speaking with odd power and conviction and authority and he's just healed disease and paralysis. And as Jesus sits there, picture him grabbing a, a, an orange soda and taking a swig out of a bottle of orange Fanta and just kind of sitting and waiting for things to soak in a bit and then he says, and blessed are the gentle for they will inherit the earth. Amongst these normal folks are some gentle people, meek people, those people who cannot assert themselves no matter how hard they try, those people who when they hear carpe diem, seize the day, they just want to pull the covers up over their heads. 
They're not people who know how to play the game and not people who would play the game even if they did know how. They do not have sway, they do not have charm, they do not have the ability to get by on charisma. They're gentle, they are meek. And Jesus says, for you, in the kingdom of the heavens, you gentle ones, you're going to inherit the whole earth because you will become children of the earth maker. You won't have to grasp, you won't have to assert, it'll be rightly yours and you'll be able to rest. So as he sits there, puts the bottle of Fanta down, also, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they are going to be satisfied. Those, those people in the crowd who seek justice, they long for things to be made right. They long for the wrong in them to be made right, and they long for the wrong in the world to be made right. They may be pricked daily by the sin that they know they can't escape, and then they look out at the world at the sin that is wrecking the very fabric of what it means to be human, and they hunger and they thirst for righteousness. The injustice of the world around them, the pain of sin inside of them, and the two usually go together, right? But Jesus says that in the kingdom of the heavens, those people will be satisfied. Not because evil is gone, not because it disappears, but because they will see the truly righteous one. They'll see him live a blameless life. They'll see him die a shameful death. They'll see him rise from the grave. They'll see him ascend to the heavens and they will experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which will cloak them in his righteousness. So those of you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will finally be truly satisfied. And now Jesus, I don't think he's hungry anymore. Little girl has toddled up to him and he's playing patty cake with her. And he looks up while he's playing patty cake and says, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the mercy showers, those of you who extend undeserved kindness to others, those of you who give and give and give, not because it's deserved, but because you know deep down that it's good and that it's right. And those people, those mercy givers who give out of a, a heart that knows it's right to extend mercy, over and over usually results in a couple of things. Perhaps it results in resignation because you know that as much mercy as you can extend, it's not gonna change the fabric of the world. Or perhaps it results in pride. I am one who shows mercy because it is good and right. And Jesus says you will be blessed in the kingdom of the heavens because you will be enveloped by the mercy of God. You mercy showers will be shown mercy in its truest form, undeserved kindness from God. You will know grace from Jesus Christ. And he continues a quick one. And blessed are the pure in heart, for the pure in heart are going to see God. And he looks out, and there are pure in heart in the midst of the people. These are not sinless people. These are people who have true hearts, honest, genuine, and perhaps above all, sincere and the thing about having a sincere heart is a sincere heart's a, 
a heavy thing to bear because sincere people usually say what they mean. They're usually trustworthy. They usually see the world pretty honestly. And when you look around the world and you see sin and brokenness, when you see deception, when you see corruption, and you call it what it actually is, it's a hard thing to bear. But Jesus says those will be blessed because in the kingdom of heaven, you will see the one thing that can soothe the pure heart, and that is God himself. You'll still see the world, you'll still see people and circumstances, but you'll see them honestly and clearly in the light of God and in the light of God's truth. Now kids are running around screaming, playing, and Jesus is watching them. And he looks up and he says, and blessed are the peacemakers. Because the peacemakers are going to be called sons of God. Those who want to see peace, or at least the absence of conflict. They want to fix relational schism. The brother and sister who don't talk anymore, it kills them. They want to see people made right. They want to see family and friendships set back to what they should be. They want to see governments coexist. They want to see factions reconciled. They want to see how crazy is this. They want to see the Jews and the Samaritans actually get along and be reconciled. And those peacemakers, blessed are they, for they will be called sons of God and made one in Christ. True reconciliation with one another because now they are brother and sister under the king. And then there's one more blessed. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now hear that, and this is important. The beginning, the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a whole. That's one block. And Jesus is about to move on. But he says, here, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And there are people in that crowd and they're thinking, he's actually talking to us. He's actually saying that the kingdom of the heavens that he's bringing, that we've seen and gotten a taste of, we've watched him heal people, we've watched him transform lives with the touch of his hand, with the word of his mouth. Now he's teaching with authority and beauty. He says, blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Doing right can be costly. And there are people there who know it. Not going along with low-key deception. Not being willing to turn a blind eye when someone lies. Not lying to cover for a friend. And then being considered self-righteous. It's hard to be righteous when you're powerless. It's hard to do right when you're powerless. And when you see corruption of those in power. And it seems wrong. It seems like the entire system of everything is deeply, deeply broken. But Jesus says, blessed are you. Because the truth is that righteousness is in fact the right response to God's love and kindness. It reflects his very character. And as such, yours is the kingdom of the heavens. Not because of self, not because of what's in you, but because you will bear a new righteousness given to you by God. So you will be able to be honest about your shortcomings and your sins, and you will know that God calls you beloved. And instead of persecution, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And now, Jesus is going to shift gears a tiny little bit. He's painted this picture, and he's painted the picture of who it's for. 
It is for you, the ones who would least expect to receive the blessing of God. The ones who would be most hopeless in the face of what God might offer by way of blessing. But now he makes it really clear. Here's how the blessing comes. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The key to the entrance of the kingdom that he's been talking about is this. You will be aligned with me. And because of that, you will experience similar, similar persecution that the prophets experienced. These normal dudes who were set aside in the Old Testament, normal people that God set aside and called to specific reflection of his truth and proclamation of his truth. He said, your lives are going to be kind of like theirs. You're going to be persecuted like they were, but it's going to be because of me. And blessed are you when that happens. So rejoice, because your reward in the kingdom of the heavens now is great, and that reward is my blessing, peace and joy and security that can only come from me. And your reward in the heavens, the new heavens and the new earth to come, is great as well. And then he breaks, and he tells them a little bit about themselves. He says, when you get aligned with me, when you become my disciples, when you become my children, when you become my servants, you are the ones who will be the salt of the earth. You are the ones who will bring preservation, flavor to the world. If salt becomes tasteless, and perhaps you look around at the religious establishment and you see people, and they're supposed to be the salt. But there's no flavor left. That salt gets thrown out into the street. You step on that salt, and it doesn't matter. But you, you are the salt of the earth. You're also the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You will be the reflectors of God. The lights lit by the one that blinded the Israelites with glory, you will be the ones who carry my light. And it would be silly to put you under a, a basket. No, we'll put you up on a hill so that people will see and proclaim my goodness and my glory. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, the kingdom of the heavens, who's it for? It's for the people who least had any hope that God's blessing could be theirs. But then Jesus says something at the very end. He says, now, I want to be really clear about something. I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets. Because you can imagine how in their minds they're thinking that's exactly what he has just done. The law had become oppressive. The law had been so deeply added to and twisted and used to oppress. Sounds like he's saying, Phew, gone. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't presume that I came to abolish it. I didn't come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. I am the fulfillment of all that has gone before. I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and I come in truth and grace. So I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, 
none of the law, not the least stroke, is going to fall away until everything is accomplished. Don't nullify any of the commandments, but teach them, keep them. You will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And now you have for the very first time the actual contrast. And he's saying the scribes and the Pharisees have a righteousness. Your righteousness has to far outstrip theirs and it has to surpass theirs. And these are people who may or may not know the law. They may or may not know the Torah. They may or may not pray. They are the people who do not have any kind of spiritual pedigree. And Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven is actually for you. Because the righteousness that I'm looking for is a righteousness in heart. It's not a righteousness of legalism. It's not a righteousness that comes from doing what you think makes you good enough to be blessed by God. It's a heart that loves me. The law and the prophets, they're beautiful, but they've been twisted to oppress you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, sitting on a mountain, is telling people who really had no hope of God's blessing that God's blessing is exactly for them. And I think that sometimes we get in a position where we are, the circles that we swim and run in, being at a Reformed Christian college, where we sometimes feel a little bit like Uncle Burley. We sometimes feel like, you know what? I kind of messed up just one time too many and God's blessing can't be for me. But look who Jesus offers it to. Exactly those people. Us. Here's how I like to think um, that conversation would have gone with, with Uncle Burley had they been driving that wagon down the road and they came up upon Jesus. Here's what I think would have happened. Uncle Burley stops the wagon guy hops on, says, thank you kindly. Turns and he looks back at the two boys and says, hello, Tom. Hello, Nathan. They say, do we know you? He says, I think so. Uncle Burley then rolls up a cigarette and the man offers to take the wagon reins so that he can roll it up even better. The man looks at him says, blessed are you when you pick up a stranger. You might just see an angel. And Burley says, are you an angel? He says, nope, I'm not. And then they drive down the road, and they talk, and they laugh, and the stranger finally asks Burley, Burley, where are you three-headed? Burley said, well, I suppose we'll go wherever you are. And the man says, that seems good. Let's pray. Lord, we are not a deserving people.
but you are a gracious God. Thank you for the kingdom of the heavens that you've opened to us. Thank you for the joy and the peace and the security of blessing that we know in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you have turned everything on its head, that the last might be first, that the broken might be made whole, and that we sinners might know you, might walk with you, and call you Father. Lord, we give you all praise and thanks in your glorious name. Amen.